Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Yes, good afternoon to all of you. I hope you have come to see the glory of the Lord and desire also to worship with Him. I want to begin today by simply uh, bringing greetings from the International Baptist Convention. Many of you know the IBC. We're, part of, we're a member church of this association of English language uh, churches that are in predominantly non-English speaking countries. And uh, this last year, or this last uh, two weeks ago, our, was our first annual meeting that was held outside of Europe. It was held in Costa Rica. And someone had to go, so I went. Um, and um, it was exciting because a lot of uh, new things are happening in the IBC, a new strategy uh, for uh, what it uh, uh, intends to accomplish of its core values and a uh, new structure in there as well. I also found out that I'm the new chairman of the budget and finance ministry team. Didn't know that before I got there, but um, that's what I was appointed to since I'm on the finance team as well. But uh, I had an exciting experience as well because I stayed over a Sunday, and last Sunday I was in Jaco, which is the west coast of Costa Rica. There's a small village there. It's a beach town, and there's an English-language church that meets there in Jaco. And because I met the pastor, I, I uh, offered to assist in any way that he desired, um, and so he could use my help on the keyboards last Sunday. So I uh, helped by leading worship alongside him, on the keyboards, and next to me was a professional um, surf instructor on the guitar. And so after the church service, I had surfing lessons, um, and I was able to get up on the surfboard, first time in my life, twice. Um, and um, also I met a bunch of young adults, young people that are there in Costa Rica with an organization, and I mention this only because maybe we have some young adults who might be interested in getting involved but look up the World Race. Um, it's an organization that sends out teams of young adults ages 21 to 35, or perhaps you can also go on a smaller trip uh, if you're in a gap year before university, but it essentially means 11 countries in 11 months. 11 countries around the world where you serve the neediest of the people in those countries. And so this team that I met was on their first month in Costa Rica, and they were going to hit Paraguay and Honduras and Panama, I think, and then they were going to go to Asia to hit Burma and Cambodia and Thailand, and then they were going to go to Africa for three countries there, and then they were going to go to Eastern Europe as well. So if you're a young adult, uh, you'd like to serve the Lord, you can raise the funding, and uh, you want to serve the neediest of the people in the world, Take a look at the world race uh, to spend a year of your life, uh, first a training month and then 11 months in 11 countries, exciting opportunities. But I bring greetings from, the, from them and um, it was certainly an exciting experience. And when I came back, I don't know if it was jet lag or lack of sleep or what it was, but I came down with some kind of a virus and I'm just barely recovering. But let me give you a few announcements as far as uh, What's going on here? Uh, if you take a look at your bulletin, you'll notice that immediately after the fellowship hour today, we have another class for baptism and membership. If any of you missed the last time we had it in October, this is your opportunity today. Uh, if you haven't signed up, that's okay. Just join us today. And uh, it's not a long class, but it's to introduce what it means to be a member here at church and uh, to be part of our fellowship officially as a member. So if you're interested, come in. Uh, to the fellowship hour and then uh, listen for the announcement when we go upstairs uh, afterwards. 
The Christmas choir uh, is coming up on the 11th of December. We have already begun rehearsals, but it's not too late to join. So if you'd like to join, please see my mother over there in the red uh, sweater and um, sign up today because we only have a few rehearsals left. But also on that uh, Sunday when we have the Christmas concert, we're having the pageant with our uh, uh, children's ministry on the same day. And so if you would like to have your children involved in the Christmas pageant as well, then you need to come and see, where are we at here? Um, coming at, at, at the, uh, at, there we go. Yeah, Chelsea, there's a couple of other uh, uh, parents involved uh, right here immediately after the worship service. Come and uh, meet here to talk about some of the logistics. And uh, it's right after the worship service is over before you go into fellowship, just a five minute meeting if you'd like your kids involved in the um, uh, pageant or the Christmas play that'll be happening on the same day as we have our Christmas concert. All right. Um, also, the uh, IBC Men's Conference is coming up soon. Uh, we already have one car full of nine uh, that are going. We have six others coming from Cyprus. Uh, maybe some of you remember uh, Arno Bale. He's bringing some folks with us, with him, uh, to join our group. So we're already a pretty big group, uh, but there's always room for more. And so if you haven't already made some plans, then come and see me about some of those details. And Speaking of the IBC, I've placed some other dates uh, in the bulletin for upcoming conferences that involve, uh, that can include any of you. Uh, ministry leadership training is going to be in Athens, March 24th to 28th, and the women's conference in Amsterdam, May 5th through 7th, and more announcements and details will be uh, coming in the weeks to come. Uh, but we are connected to the International Baptist Convention also with their missions, and their global missions offering is always taken the first Sunday in December. Um, and you'll be informed a little bit more about that offering as we get closer to that uh, Sunday. But you have already participated in the Global Missions offering if you're giving regularly to our church uh, budget, because we budget each year an offering of 12,000 kroner to the Global Missions offering, and you'll find out how that is being spent uh, on that Sunday that we celebrate the uh, Global Missions offering. Um, that's all the announcements I have uh, for today. We'll dismiss the kids for Sunday school at this time as we prepare our hearts for the offering uh, that we take each Sunday. And just a reminder to those of you who might not be used to an offering on Sundays that we do this as part of our worship uh, because we believe that the Lord is honored through our, the giving of our tithes and our offerings. It is an act of faith uh, because we also believe that uh, what the Lord provides for us, we can give back in a portion and that he will uh, amply provide for us. And it's done in love. We do it out of obedience to his commands because we have a relationship with the Lord, not because we're trying to get into heaven or win his favor, but because we already have received his favor. So as you give today, give uh, faithfully and remember the words that come from Luke chapter 6 that say, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. May the Lord bless you as you give.
And let's pray together as we dedicate this offering to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, uh, as we present these offerings to you, we do so not under compulsion, but out of love. We know that you love a cheerful giver. We pray that these gifts given here today and also those throughout the week, if we've been using net bank or mobile pay, we pray that you would uh, receive these gifts of ours and uh, that you would bless each giver. Uh, help us to grow in our faith so that as we give to you more and more, that we will uh, see your faithfulness in our lives as well. So we dedicate this offering to you for your glory, for your kingdom, and may it be used that your gospel reaches to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And before we uh, uh, continue, I forgot to uh, welcome those who are here for the first time. If this is your first Sunday worshiping with us, we want to make note of it, and uh, we ask you simply to stand up and tell us your name and where you're from. Uh, we won't embarrass you or make fun of you or make funny faces at you or anything, but just we want to know your name and where you're from. If this is your first Sunday, would you mind uh, doing us that honor? Right here, yes. Jillian from the Netherlands. Welcome, Jillian. It's good to meet you. Anyone else? Yeah, there's a family here. Joshua from India. And your family? Vali, from, also from India. Welcome. And you brought with you your little... Stina. Welcome to all of you from India. Welcome. And? Philip from Brazil. Great. Ilona from Latvia. Welcome, Ilona. It's great to meet so many people. And immediately after the service, oh yeah, right here too, Mary Lou's sister. From Peru, but you live in Sweden. Serena. Salida. Okay, welcome. Anyone else? From Peru by way of Sweden. That's great. Well, immediately after the worship service today, we do have a fellowship hour, and we hope you'll join us for that fellowship hour uh, right here in the, the um, uh, fellowship hall. Just come and join us right here, and hopefully you'll get a chance to meet the rest of us as well. Um, thank you, Alan. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'm sure most of you have also experienced when you're on a flight of any length, that uh, sometimes the captain uh, comes on the uh, PA system and he warns you of some upcoming turbulence. What's the right thing to do when he tells you, please return to your seats and fasten your seat belts because there are some warnings of some turbulence up ahead? Pretty easy answer, all right? It's not a trick question. What's the right thing to do in that case? to return to your seats, even if you're in the restroom, and buckle your seatbelt, right? It amazes me that people are still getting up, even though they've been warned. Or that when you've landed and they ask you to keep your seatbelt fastened until you've arrived at the gate, and as the plane is taxiing, people are getting up and taking their luggage down, even though they've been warned that we're still not at the gate. It amazes me, too, when you go through duty-free that you see stacks and stacks of cigarette boxes, and all of them have these huge warnings that say, smoking kills, and people are still buying them hand over fist. 
completely disregarding the warnings. What if you opened, or what if you went to the store and you saw a package of ramen noodles and it says, warning, ramen noodles can kill you. Would you still buy them? Would students starve? <laughs> I mean, what if you saw two, two jars of jelly where one of them said strawberry jelly and the other one said, warning, this contains rat poison, don't eat. Would you still buy it? What would the wise person do and what would the foolish person do? Or when they issue you a warning that coming through your town will be a category five storm and it's time to evacuate your town, to board up your house and leave. It's amazing that people still sit around and wait for that storm to come and hope that nothing will happen to them. You know, the Bible is also filled with warnings warnings of a judgment, a swift and sweeping judgment that will come on the day of the Lord. And the Lord has used several prophets to issue this warning of judgment upon the earth, upon its wickedness, and upon its evil. Noah was given instructions to build an ark because the Lord had decided to destroy those who had filled the earth with violence. And Noah, the Bible says, was a preacher of righteousness and during the estimated 60 to 100 years that it took for him to build the ark, people had warning. And yet the Bible says that people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. The prophet Isaiah warned, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. The prophet Amos called the people of Israel to repent. Why? For the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. And so while the foolish will ignore the warning and say, well, God's not going to destroy the earth and the people in it, or you're just believing in a fairy tale and a myth, well, what will the wise do? And today, as we continue and are almost reaching the end of our study of the Old Testament, we come to the prophet Zephaniah, a prophet that probably you've also not met or read before and not understood its message before. But my hope is that today you will heed the warning that Zephaniah gives. What are we as wise people to do with the warnings that are in the scriptures, specifically the warning given to us in the book of Zephaniah? You can turn with me if you have your Bibles. I do encourage you to bring them each week because perhaps you haven't read through the book yet. But Zephaniah, you'll find it after the book of Habakkuk, before the book of Haggai. It's just three or four pages there in your Old Testament, somewhere toward the middle. And it begins by the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So he ministered basically during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, and maybe some of you know this already, but Ammon lasted only two years before he was assassinated, and Josiah, his son, became king at the young age of eight. And as an adult, this Josiah began some sweeping reforms in his country. It says that Zephaniah was a descendant of Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah, perhaps the same Hezekiah as the one that was in the royal line. It's possible that Zephaniah was the great-great-grandson 
of the king and a descendant of King Hezekiah. But we're not sure about this. If it is that way, he would have also been in the royal line and a distant relative of the king, Josiah, at the time. We don't know much else about Zephaniah except the most important thing about him is that the word of the Lord came to him. And that is how the Lord revealed himself and gave his warnings to people was through his prophets. And his prophets were calling the people to remember the covenant that they'd made with the Lord through Moses generations ago. And his prophecy begins with a warning of sweeping judgment. Listen to this warning, verse 2. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. These warnings echo Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, when the Lord saw the great wickedness of mankind. And at that time, when every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time, God called upon Noah to build an ark. It was only Noah at that time who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord also brought about a sweeping judgment called the flood. The Lord said at that time, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And similarly, here in Zephaniah comes this warning where the Lord declares he will sweep everything away from the face of the earth. And he lists them, men and animals, birds and the fish, in reverse order of creation. And just as in the days of Noah, where the righteous were spared, in Zephaniah's warning of sweeping judgment, it's directed particularly at the wicked who will be left with only heaps of rubble. Jeremiah, too, warned that God would bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword. And when Jesus came along and warned of the coming day of judgment, he used metaphors like the pulling up of weeds where the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out the righteous. He will weed out from the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So they will basically weed out the unrighteous, leaving the righteous. And Zephaniah's prophecy then focuses, as you read on, first on Judah and Jerusalem, where he says he will stretch out his hand against Judah and Jerusalem. And then the attention turns to the surrounding nations of Philistia to the west, Moab and Ammon to the east, Cush to the south, and then he addresses the city of Jerusalem again before once again turning to all of the nations, the kingdoms, and the whole world. And if you look at the sweeping judgment, it is very severe. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. Wail, you who live in the market district, all your merchants will be wiped out. In verse 18, he says that in the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. In chapter 2, verse 5, to Philistia, he says, I will destroy you and none will be left. In verse 9 of chapter 2, Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. 
And in verse 12 of chapter 2, you too, O Cushites, will be slain by my sword. This language of destruction, of sweeping judgment, can make us uncomfortable, right? We don't like the image of a God who will come and destroy. Somehow we have this idea that if there's a God who created this world and everything in it, then this God, whoever he or she is, has to be a God who loves and forgives, who lets us fail, who's patient with us, who wouldn't destroy or let anyone suffer. And what we fail to realize, though, is that the God that is revealed in the Bible is also a just and a righteous God, a holy and a pure God who is unchangeable in character and who is eternal. And those qualities necessitate that sin and evil and wickedness must be punished so that justice is upheld and that righteousness will prevail. In fact, any of us who have ever experienced injustice against us we would take great comfort, wouldn't we, that God does not let such injustices just go by. That God will right the wrongs. And God will not overlook injustice and He will not let evil prevail. So we have to remember that this great day of the Lord that Zephaniah is warning us is a day that will bring sweeping judgment because of sin and evil and wickedness that are committed by the Israelites in particular then and by the nations that surrounded them. And just look at the nations around us today that such wickedness and evil and sin continue. Judah was guilty. As you, if you look through the, the, uh, the book, you'll see the, the specific things that God is, is uh, naming. They were guilty of worshiping Baal, of swearing by Moloch, turning away from the Lord to worship the stars. They had adopted practices of the nations around them, including some of their superstitions. Their worship of false gods had led them to violence and deceit. The nations that surrounded Judah were guilty of insults and abuse, of arrogance and pride. Jerusalem had become a city of oppressors rebellious and defiled. Their officials and rulers were roaring lions and evening wolves devouring the people they took advantage of. And she was filled with prophets who were arrogant and treacherous, priests who would profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. And remember that Zephaniah wasn't the only prophet we've seen so far that had all of these uh, proclamations of the evil and the idolatry going on in Israel. We saw that in the prophecy of Amos, that the Lord's anger is not like our anger, where you and I get frustrated or irritated or impatient or enraged over things like the bus being late or a careless driver. No, God is angered and, and His fierce wrath is directed at those who sin, those who commit evil, those who commit injustice and abuse. All the sin that destroys people every day. And if you look at the corruption and the injustice and the wickedness and the exploitation going on today, you can see that there's good reason for the Lord's wrath to bring judgment. And we have to remember that God has given a warning. And with that warning comes an opportunity for us to repent. And that invitation is also in the book of Zephaniah, an invitation for the nations to gather together and to seek the Lord. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. Gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives, and that day sweeps on like chaff, 
before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord. All you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So what are the wise called to do when we're given this warning of the judgment? It's quite simple, really. It's right there in the scriptures. Seek the Lord, seek righteousness, and seek humility. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Well, if sin is anything that violates the holy and pure and righteous character of the Lord, then when we sin, what we've actually done is we've disregarded the character of God. We've chosen to do things our way. And as his creation, you and I were created to glorify God. We are to display things like his purity, his righteousness, his holiness, to put on display his love, his generosity, his mercy and grace and patience. But when you and I commit adultery or sexual immorality or divorce, or if we steal and cheat and lie, or if we hold grudges and gossip and covet, then we are falling short of his glory. We are defiling the character of the living God. And when we have defiled and violated his holy and pure and righteous character, then the only way that we can demonstrate we have true repentance and regret over those sins is by turning back to the Lord and seeking him again. And to seek the Lord is simply to desire again his holiness, his purity, and his righteousness. In chapter 1, verse 6 the people of Judah were guilty even though they were in a covenant relationship with the Lord. They had, and it says in verse 6, they had turned back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. So the Lord is calling them, gather together and seek me once again. And if the sinner is basically the one who's avoiding the Lord, refusing his instructions, rejecting his ways, defying his will and rebelling against his commandments, then the repentant sinner is one who turns back to the Lord and receives once again his ways and chooses once again his will and follows once again his commandments. So the sinner will, of course, have to experience the fierce anger of God if he doesn't change his ways before he faces the judge. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. So either the Lord will return and come as a judge or we will die and face the judge, one or the other. But each one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have done so because at some point in our personal journey, we have acknowledged that a judgment is coming. We have acknowledged that we've sinned. We have confessed that we have disobeyed God's commandments and we have believed in Jesus as God's Son who came to die for our sins, and we have committed ourselves to a life of faith and obedience. And I trust that that's where many of you are today, and that's why you're even here today in church, is because you do desire to seek the Lord, and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, that Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him.
So I trust that you're here because you have heeded the warning. And some point in your own personal journey, you too were warned about the coming judgment of your sin, for your sins. And because you heard about Jesus Christ, the Savior, you surrendered your life to him and you began to seek the Lord. And whenever that was for you or for me, then we should continue each day until he comes to seek him, that is to desire his holiness, his purity, and his righteousness. And to seek his righteousness, well, as we seek to be righteous, even as he is righteous, then instead of living to please ourselves, we live to please the Lord. Instead of choosing our own ways, we choose his ways. Instead of avoiding the Lord's commands, we pursue the commands of the Lord. And when we fall short, which we will, then we are quick to admit our, our, our failure. Our disposition is such that we acknowledge our weakness, our shortcomings, and our sins, and we turn away from those thoughts and actions to seek once again His righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, the guilt of Israel is described as she obeys no one, she accepts no correction, she does not trust in the Lord, she does not draw near to her God. Hopefully that does not describe any one of us who seek righteousness, that we would not be that city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. And the call of God along with this warning of judgment is to seek righteousness again. Now, it's important that we remember who defines righteousness. See, some would like to be able to say and argue and insist that, that they know the standard of righteousness and they should be allowed to define what's right and wrong and good and evil. But let's remember that God is the creator and his standard of righteousness is his own character and he determines and defines what is right and wrong. And so for us to seek righteousness is to not put ourselves in the position of determining righteousness, but for us to surrender ourselves to conform to his righteousness. And if you have received Jesus Christ as your savior, then you have received his righteousness by faith. You have been declared justified by God because you have trusted in the Savior. And now it's up to us to let what God has already declared to be true about us to become visible in the rest of our life and in our actions. That's why Paul says in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So we've already been declared righteous. Now it's seeking righteousness by becoming blameless and pure, children of God without fault in this crooked and depraved generation. And part of that working out our salvation, as Paul says, is done with fear and trembling. And that's exactly what God is saying through Zephaniah. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Seek righteousness, seek humility. So the humble person maintains this posture of dependence and gratefulness upon the Lord. It's the person who insists that he has not fallen short of God's righteousness. That person is the one who's prideful and arrogant. They set up their own standards. They've created their gods of their own. They've not accepted correction. They live under this false pretense that God will not judge their sinful deeds. But you and I, hopefully, will be the ones who are quick to acknowledge our own sinfulness, will cast ourselves at the mercy of the Lord, and we will be sheltered from the judgment and saved on that great day of the Lord. See, when the Lord made a covenant with his people through the King Solomon, that when his people would have been disobedient 
and they were suffering the consequences of drought and pestilence or plague. What did the Lord promise Solomon as he built that temple for the Lord? In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14, he says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And through Zephaniah, God was giving his people ample warning to remember the covenant and to seek the Lord, to seek righteousness and seek humility so that they could be sheltered from judgment because if they did so in time, then they would not experience this sweeping judgment. So this great day of the Lord, we have to remember, is a day of sweeping judgment. But for those who have called upon the Lord, it is also a day of hope and joy and victory. Because as Zephaniah also makes clear, is that that day of sweeping judgment is followed by a day of restoration. All of chapter 3 verses 9 through 20 is a description of this wonderful restoration of God's people. In verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. In verse 12, I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. In verse 13, the remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. In verse 14, among his people there will be shouts of praise and gladness and rejoicing. And he says in verse 17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So you see, friends, that Zephaniah is also giving the people a picture of what it will be like when the Messiah, when their long-awaited, anointed Savior will establish His rule in their midst and fulfill all of the remaining promises that have yet to be fulfilled here on earth. And when Jesus first came and began to announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then His disciples began hoping that it would happen now, it would happen then and there while they were still living and walking beside him. See, Israel was under the oppressive rule of the Romans and they were longing for this promised Messiah to come and finally throw off their yoke and bring about this day that Zephaniah and all the other prophets had prophesied about. And they saw the miracles that Jesus performed. They heard his teaching. They were asking, could this son of Mary and Joseph be the one we've been waiting for all this time? But see there were still some other prophecies, among others those of Isaiah, that described the Messiah as someone who would be despised and rejected. That the Messiah would be a man of sorrows. He would be pierced for our transgressions and he would be crushed for our iniquities. And it didn't make any sense to the disciples that Jesus the Messiah would die on a cross and then be buried until he returned from the grave and until he explained to them what had been said in the scriptures concerning himself. And then when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angelic beings that appeared assured his disciples that this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. 
And so the disciples and all those who have since become disciples of Jesus, like you and me, we await a day when he will return and he will return first to judge the nations and then save the righteous and establish his kingdom here on earth, just as the Lord has promised. And so as we read the revelations that were given to the Apostle John, we see exactly this happening, that we see before Christ establishes his kingdom on earth, that first the Lord will pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And it will be an awful time with plagues and rivers of blood and searing and intense sun, followed by darkness and pain and sores. And then the heavens will open up and the Lord will appear, as it says, on a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. When justice, or with justice he judges and makes war, his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So whereas this great day of, uh, day of the Lord is a day of judgment for the wicked, it is for you and I, the righteous, those who have called upon the name of the Lord, it is a day of joy and a day of blessing. The Babylonians came and removed Judah from their land into exile, and although a remnant returned after 70, 70 years, it's clear that this great restoration is still yet to come. There is yet to come a day when never again will really be never again. But before that day, there will, be a first, there will first be a time of severe judgment upon all the nations and all people where God will pour out his wrath on all evil and wickedness. Until then, we still have time to seek the Lord, to seek righteousness, and seek humility. So you see that in the Old Testament particularly, the prophets describe this day of the Lord as a day that's dark, a day that's foreboding, but the New Testament looks at the day of the Lord with hope and victory and joy, and that's because if you have acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God and your Savior, you will be sheltered from the coming judgment. You will be saved to enjoy the wedding banquet, this great inheritance that awaits us, the new heavens and the new earth. For the unbeliever, the day that Jesus returns will be still a day of fear, of terror, and dread, just like the days of Noah. When Jesus was referring to the flood in Noah's day, he said that those were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were taken away by the flood. And Jesus said, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill, one will be taken and the other left. He's speaking of being taken in judgment, being swept away just like the floods swept away the wicked. And Peter also assures us in that day when scoffers will say, where is this coming that he promised? And it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was raised from the dead. And people today are wondering, is he coming or isn't he? Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So how are we then to live as we wait for that great day of the Lord. Well, Peter says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Essentially, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. Confess your sins often. Ask forgiveness often. 
desire God's holiness, desire his purity and his righteousness, whether it's in your relationships, how you conduct business, or how you pursue your career. Wake up each day with gratitude in your heart for the Lord's mercies, his compassion, and his patience. Walk before the Lord with a healthy fear and reverence. And now that we've been warned about the great day of the Lord, will you take that warning seriously? Consider the fact that the Titanic on April 14th, 1912, on the morning, 9 a.m., it received a warning from the Caronia, a ship that was already sailing across the Atlantic, sending the following warning to the Titanic. Captain Titanic, westbound report, bergs, growlers, and field ice. Listed the coordinates, complements, bar. At least five more warnings from the ships, the Baltic, the America, the Californian, and the Masaba came through to the Titanic. But the captain never heeded those warnings. What do the wise and the foolish do with warnings? Well, I'll leave that up to you to either heed the warning and be wise or one day face the judgment. Let us pray. Our Lord, as we bow before you, we do so in honor of your great name because you are the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth. You are the one who is all-wise, all-knowing, eternal, And as we've heard from the book of Zephaniah and many prophets prior, there is a day coming when all wrongs will be righted, all injustice will be punished, and all evil and sin will be done away with. And so we come before you, Lord, as your church. Those of us who are saved are grateful. We humbly acknowledge that it is only by Christ and his cross and his sacrifice that we can be forgiven. And we're so grateful, Lord, that we can escape this great day of judgment and that we can look forward to a day when there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And for all those here, Lord, who still in their own uh, sinfulness and pride and arrogance have not acknowledged you yet, we pray, Lord, that uh, the revelation today and the warnings will be heeded. We pray also that um, the evidence of Christ in our lives will be convincing. And may we also, Lord, continue to walk in humility, seeking you and seeking righteousness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.com dot dk or facebook.com forward slash fibc cph thank you for listening